Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to We've Got Mail. Do, do we? Was that a question? Yeah. My name is William Bibiani. I'm a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. And, and the, the one who gives the strange introductions. Uh, well, we got to keep it exciting. We've done literally over a thousand podcasts. True. We've done a lot of these things. <laughs> uh, my name is Whitney Zeibold. In case you haven't heard one of those uh, thousands of podcasts in the past, we do it a lot. That's but true. this may be your first. Uh, so if it is, welcome aboard. Mm. My name is Whitney Seibold. I'm a film critic. Uh, I write for Slash Film. Uh, you may call me Rockmeister McCool for the purposes of this particular podcast, but it's not necessary. It is. Anyway, uh, this is We've Got Mail. This is where you control the conversation. And here's how it works. You email us. Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Or you can write us a piece of physical mail. Whitney, what is our P.O. Box? Yeah, send us a letter to the Critically Acclaimed Network, P.O. Box 641-565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. And uh, basically the floor is yours. You want to ask us questions, get us to opine about topics that would interest you. You want to uh, take us a task for a stupid opinion we had <laughs> that nobody liked. Uh, that's fine, too. The, the floor is yours. We yield it uh, as of... Now, Whitney, go. Okay. <laughs> As of right now, uh, I'll read this first letter. It's from Ryan. Hi, Ryan. Hello, Ryan. Uh, and Ryan says, hey, guys, uh, first time writer. Wow, thank you. Uh, long, first time writer, long time idiot. It's a good uh, Mad Magazine introduction. Oh, okay. Um, I was listening to your We've Got Mail number 148 podcast. Uh, Most I, I, I don't keep track this of This is numbers, 149. But... That was okay. the last week's podcast. In or the case, last podcast uh, we recorded. I wanted to comment on William's perspective on the Forky character from Toy Story 4. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah we, uh, I know you're not as fond of Toy Story 4 as I don't think people. the Forky subplot in Toy Story 4 terribly works. Uh, if if Ryan doesn't explain it in the email, I'll, I'll go over it. But, mm. um, yeah. But uh, Ryan says, uh, simply put, have you considered that Forky's character progression in the narrative isn't entirely unlike Lieutenant Dan from Forrest Gump, the one that, by your own account, is emotionally resonant to you? Mm. The dilemma facing the character is that his purpose on Earth has been fulfilled and his destiny, essentially, is now to die. It's a suicide allegory, more than a metaphor for an identity crisis. He's then offered a new purpose by Tom Hanks, as it turns out... For yeah. Scump, yeah, yeah. Uh, to be more than what he was before, to continue living and in so and in so doing, bringing joy to others. Just putting that out there for your consideration as an alternate read. Uh, thank you both for your staggering breadth of critical work in this space. Tootles and such, Ryan. Ryan, that's interesting. Read. I will give that a ponder uh, again. If you missed it uh, last time, uh, we had talked about uh, well, some stuff I didn't like about Toy Story Four, and mm. uh, one of my biggest things is that I feel that the Forky subplot in which uh, a character who has an identity and tells everyone their identity. He says, I am trash. That's mm. what I'm supposed to be in life. Uh, and every time he tries to live his life, tries to live his identity, everyone tells him not just that he is not trash, he is a toy, but that he has to act like a toy because his essentially parent, 
the uh, child who created him and mm-hmm. made him a toy uh, wants him to be that specific thing. And I thought that was a very poorly thought out metaphor. Mm-hmm. At best. At worst, I find it anti-trans. Uh I would argue that that's an interesting perspective, and I will mull that over. I don't think that's it entirely a... incorporates everything I have a problem with in it, but I appreciate that that might have been what they were going for, and I still think they kind of didn't think it out well enough because it still works on that mm. other level. Uh, because Forky is constantly uh, seeing, calling himself trash mm-hmm. and throwing, literally throwing himself away, uh-huh. he says that, that this is my destiny, essentially to die. It's pretty easily read as a depression metaphor. Okay. He, uh, does he seem depressed? He, he seems only able to fulfill himself in death. That's depression. I would argue. And uh, I'll let you finish, but I have an argument for that. And Tom Hanks uh, points out to him that he is more than the trash that he thinks he is, mm-hmm. which I think is where the character uh, inspires a lot of people mm-hmm. and also where the character, uh, a lot of the character's humor comes from. Right. Because it's a suicidal character, but it's also a, a spork and there's a, a bit of a, there's a, a humorous visual juxtaposition. Definitely there's a humorous visual juxtaposition. I'm not going to argue that. Because it is just yeah. a, a, a spork. It is. Googly eyes. It's not just a spork. Mm-hmm. It is a spork, but I would argue it's not just a spork okay. because nothing is just a thing and in the, the Toy Story universe unless if you're a toy, you have agency and and all that kind of stuff but it's clearly more complicated than that hence the very existence of sporky mm-hmm. hell hence the very existence of buzz lightyear a yeah. toy that thought he wasn't a toy yeah and yet acted like a toy every time a, a human being was around and i don't understand that at all but we're just gonna let that okay. go because the, the, the whole thing we're, is it's we're, not we're like not, we're not gonna worry too much about the rules of the toy story it's, it's never been terribly well thought out and this is part of my problem uh and i think in this particular instance I don't think the metaphor really tracks very well. I would argue that he doesn't seem depressed. He actually seems very confident. Mm. And I would also argue that assuming that trash is bad in this universe uh, is, (laughs) is, hang on, hang on. uh, Surely to be a toy would be bad as well, wouldn't it? Mm. Because that's just a thing. That's just something people own and play with. You could argue that something that is trash uh, has a function. And indeed, he he's not, like, throwing himself into the fiery pits of the sun yet. He wants to go to a junkyard where maybe all the junk is alive. Maybe the brave little toaster is in there hanging oh, out. We did see that the junk was alive uh, at the end of Toy Story 3. There you go. Um, so problem solved. But it's stated repeatedly throughout the, all of the Toy Story movies that the biggest fear of the toys is to be abandoned and to be left behind and to become garbage. Uh-huh. And in fact, uh, the villain from Toy Story three, mm-hmm. the, the the teddy bear, yeah, ends up being strapped to the front of a, a garbage truck, uh-huh. and that's like hell for him. Right? Wouldn't that be kind Whereas of the other toys yeah. were given to a new owner where they could find new life and be played with again? I, I would I would agree with that to a point. If the entire point of Toy Story four it wasn't that Woody would be happier without an owner and just living like a piece of trash in a park. Uh, he well, he needs to be played with, right? That's what a toy no, he doesn't. wants. He doesn't. He's he's he. That's not what he does. Well, that he uh, by the end of the movie, he realizes that uh, being independent yeah. is being a lost toy is uh-huh. is his his goal. That's what yeah. he wants. Exactly. So why is that so much different from what Sporky wants? Because to- because uh, Woody is quite old at that point, and he wants to retire. Right. So Sporky is a newborn. So for- so so Sporky. Or, Sporky. For- Sporky yeah. So Sporky has to pursue Tom Hanks's old career. <laughs> or he's not a complete person. 
Uh, okay, hey, let's move to the next letter because it's a, it it's addresses a, my this. Point, my point boils down to this. It's messy. It's messy, mm. and I don't think it's terribly I, I well th- thought I out, and I think that's true for a fair number of Pixar I think things. you're messing it up, and I, there's mm. another another letter here from uh, okay. Todd. It says, Dear William Bibiani, Whitney, Hi. I love you, but this has nothing to do with you right now. <laughs> uh, month after month, I hear you denigrating the Forky story, being anti-trans. Okay. But I've always read this in the exact opposite way. Okay. Forky was once an eating utensil until he transitioned into a toy. But as far as the other toys are concerned, he is acting suicidal and wanting to throw his life away quite literally. But the other toys are trying to convince Forky that he does indeed have value and doesn't need to throw himself away because that is what is expected of a disposable mm-hmm. item. He is still loved and appreciated by his new friends. Mm-hmm. Suicide will not solve his problem of imposter syndrome. Uh, please, I beg you to see this other perspective. I don't know if this is how it was written, but quite frankly, I don't care if this is uh, if this is the way it could be read. Uh, thank you for taking the time to hear me out. Sincerely, Todd. Todd, that, that is an interesting perspective as well. And mm-hmm. again, this can be read in multiple ways, and I'm not trying to be stubborn or obtuse here and again i'll think all these things out i just hmm. you know i'm literally we don't pre-read these no. emails so this is I'm, I'm just going off of my initial reaction to that is that i would argue that being turned into a toy is something that someone else did to him it's someone else forcing forky to behave and be a way that forky is not and forky, forky is saying <laughs> forky is saying i was a fork uh-huh. now i am trash Wait, what, why For- isn't that okay? Forky didn't have consciousness until he was transformed. That is now that is an interesting wrinkle. Mm-hmm. I will give you that, For- but that but that if, argues. If the, but here's the thing: the if that was the case, the, uh, if that was the case, if that was the case, okay. Why would he remember having consciousness and being someone who wanted to be trash? Wouldn't he only I, I think, think as a toy? I think the idea is he was so hastily constructed. That uh. some of the old identity uh, lingers. So there is a previous identity. Uh, that he wasn't aware of. Ergo, he it's aware, not just toys that have an identity. That he wasn't aware of until he transitioned away from it. What if, uh-huh. what if the way uh, uh, that toys interact when humans aren't around and like that's their own private world? Uh-huh. What if trash has their own world? That's something that hasn't been explored yet in Toy Story. It's Give not- it time. Moving on. Trash Story is... John Waters' Trash Stories <laughs> is a film I would love to see. I would also love to see. Yeah. I thank everyone for this perspective, and, and I will seriously think this out. I promise you. Okay. These are two <laughs> interesting, different takes. The second one is one I'd kind of heard before, and I don't entirely mm. go along with it, but I will mull it over, because nothing would make me happier than to be able to say, actually, I like this movie now. Yeah, because yeah. then I get another movie I, that I like. But I do agree with you that that Pixar tends to uh, ha- make very very good films for the most part. Mostly, um, yeah. mo- a lot of their newer films uh, aren't as good as their early ones, yeah. but you know we, we can have some, that some argument. Of, I love time. Turning Red. I thought Turning, Turn, red, turning red, red was pretty good. Um, uh, but there's always like a single conceit about them that kind of. Mm-hmm. Uh, gets under your skin, rubs you the wrong way, stands out in some kind of way. Um, yeah, and it I like, always feels like it's not completely thought out. Yeah, like, uh, yeah. you know, there's plenty that could be said about the Cars universe, is it yeah. post-apocalyptic, etc. Um, Very confusing. The, the, the thing about uh, Ratatouille is I, I hate the hair bit. Yeah, the hair bit makes but, no sense. Like, like the, 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 the fantasy... Rat, that the rat the, can cook is a fantasy I'm willing to that accept. That the rat can know English and yeah. communicate in any way with a human being. The hair thing is... It, it's Weird. like it's like one additional wrinkle that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it's that's the thing. And the thing is, I, I'm willing to look past that because Ratatouille is very, very good. Mm. But if you think about it, it's weird. However, I find that harmless weird. 
Okay. It's like, it maybe it makes the narrative like one step over the line and like just hard to follow or believe. Uh-huh. But it doesn't, it, it, it doesn't feel like anyone's being left out. Mm. My issue with Toy Story is that hills of people left out. However, I appreciate that other people are watching the movie and getting something different out of it. Awesome. And I swear I will sit down and give those both both of those ideas a good ponder. Hmm. And if I decide I'm wrong, I will let you know. Yeah. And it uh, would not be the first time that that has happened, by oh, the way. Just so we're clear. We're, we're, I'm, not, I'm not saying that. We wouldn't and I'm be not, very good critics if we didn't no. listen to other people's no. takes and criticism. My perspective so. on films has shifted when other, other people offer me a perspective that I'm like, okay, you know what, fair enough. So I'll think it out. Wasn't wasn't like a headshot yet. It wasn't like, oh, well, yeah, that fixes everything. Mm. I got to think it out. Let's move on to another letter. Uh, here's a letter from Luke. Hello, okay. Luke. Um, it says, I just watched A Knock at the Cabin. Ah. And then finished the episode in which you talked about the ending. You discussed a lot of how screwed up it was. Oh, um, if you haven't seen uh, A Knock at the Cabin, mm. we're probably going to be talking about the ending right now, which I'm okay with because mm. I think it's kind of a re- reprehensible movie. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to talk about openly about the ending. We're going to... It's been on out home of, video now. It's been so, out for yeah. a little bit. It's only been out for a couple of months, granted. Uh, however, yeah, you know what? Just jump ahead a bit yeah. if right. you have to uh, for um, this. Um, fair warning. Yeah, you discussed a lot about how screwed up it was to see a queer couple tied up and how that ma- that is maybe what the audience has wanted to see. You also discussed how maybe the audience wanted to see one of the dads be killed in some, some sick way. I picked up a much different vibe with this one. Hmm. I did pick up with the religious undertones with the message being that one would die or sacrifice the world even if you think the world is rotten. Should we just let the world burn? Um in the context of that movie, um, it depends on the context. Yeah, uh, I mean, what's in it for them to survive? You know? Yeah, like, like, yeah. Well, let's, anyway, let's um, finish the letter because clearly they're talking about yeah. various things in the film. Uh, the couple, Andrew and Eric, had to face violence from a former assailant, and we also see through flashbacks that family members didn't accept them yep. and that they had to lie about being together so that they could adopt their daughter. Yep. They tried hard to refuse the choice, whether or not it was real, but ultimately wanted a future for their daughter. Yeah. I believe that Eric even said he felt their family was chosen to make the sacrifice because their love was so pure. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't think the film was trying to satisfy some yearning to see two gay men tied up and punished, but actually a story about love and perseverance. Even though they had been treated horribly by many members of society, they loved each other, and that love prompted the adoption of a little girl with a cleft palate that might have been rejected by others. Mm -hmm. The love for their daughter and her future was enough for them to make the sacrifice. If queer couples are to be represented in all forms of art, they should be able to be seen as the hero, a spouse, a friend, a lover, the villain, or in this case, even the victim. The story sets them up as a victim of potential torture but ends uh, but in the end gives them the hero and the martyr status mm. my overall thoughts on the film however are eh uh, <laughs> signed fair. Luke that's fair um, See, that, that's what you just uh, laid out Luke yeah was the dialogue of the film that's what the movie is trying to yeah. tell you it, 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 it's getting at and mm. and yeah you, you read the movie that's that's what the movie is telling you mm. uh and and that 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 was was in the script. That mm-hmm. was M Night Shyamalan's message. But again, what's in it for them? Uh-huh. If they're put in this position, yeah, where they have to make a sacrifice for the world. This is what after, the world is. This the world has treated you like garbage, and now you have to die for it. That's not very fair, is it? No, in it's, fact, I- in fact, they are going unsung. And no one knows that somebody died for them. Mm-hmm. They just have to bear more punishment mm-hmm. 
to perpetuate a world that has repeatedly rejected them. Yeah. And that doesn't sit well with me. It doesn't work for me either. And and I'm going to say a couple of things about this. First off, you mentioned at the beginning, I want to make sure we're on the same page about this. You talked about how uh, the the assumption that the audience would want to see the queer couple uh, tied up and, and, and terrorized. Mm. Um, I'm not... We're, we're, I don't think we're reading too much into that because... That's the plot of the movie. They wouldn't mm-hmm. have made the movie if they didn't think audiences would want to see that. That's totally. just baseline. That's we, no, no even interpretation there. They clearly thought this would be crowd pleasing. Uh, now that being said, then the point you made at the end of your of your letter is spot on, mm-hmm. which is that we want more representation and we want more representation in various forms. Yes, one hundred percent. Could not agree more with that. However, that doesn't mean it's always going to be good. That doesn't mean it's always going to be done responsibly, and that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be something that we find mm. uh, tasteful or satisfying, and we can differ on that, and that's totally fair. I would argue in the case of this film, and I would argue that it's it's something that's very particular to this because they chose to, to change the ending in order to give us that. Mm. They specifically bought the rights to a book that ended in a certain way, a, very, a cynical way in many regards, but a way that was... I don't know how the book ended. I, 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 I mentioned it to you once, and I think you, 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 you plumb forgot it. But I'll say this right now. The ending of the movie is very different from the end of the book. The end of the book is far more cynical and far more... And gives those characters far more agency to judge rather than simply be martyrs. Hmm. Uh, they bought the rights to that book, a book with that a very particular message and ending, and then decided to change it so that the queer couple could be martyrs for everyone else. Unsung martyrs, hmm. by the way, uh, who are told that the greatest validation that their love could have is that God wants half of them to die. The, their, their love is so pure, like it's too pure for this world. And yeah, and like that's not the compliment you think it is. Mm-hmm. And even if you argue, have characters say over and over again, uh, this isn't about you being queer we you mm. could have been any couple yeah uh they're not yeah the, the artist the chose to make still, it about still this. made it a queer couple yeah if, so that's a that's a really heavy choice yeah, yeah. That, that's a loaded choice now again a lot of people seem to have enjoyed this movie and it wasn't everybody it was very mixed in my experience mm. but everyone's experiences are different everyone's in a bubble of some size or another uh Maybe everyone you know likes it. Maybe everyone you know hates it. For me, I know a bit, a bit of half and half. Uh, what we talk about when we talk about stuff like this and our takeaway, and this kind of goes into the Toy Story thing as well. Uh, a lot of it's subjective, a lot of it's interpretation, but all of it uh, is uh, taste. Hmm. Uh, you can find something to be in poor taste or done distastefully and just say, I don't want it. Hmm. And that's <laughs> fine. And I'm glad we were able to give you a chance to, you know, rebut. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, and I know there there are people who agree with you. I've I've interacted with quite a few, well, uh, and that's okay. But yeah. I I remain unshaken by this because I just don't think it's very well. I don't think it's very well thought out, do I? It, it's not very well thought out. Um, it's it spends a lot of time othering queer people. It does, uh, and sort of setting queer love apart from hetero love mm-hmm. uh, in in a way that 
strikes me as incredibly ignorant. Uh, M. Night Shyamalan is not a queer filmmaker. Not that I know of. Uh, I, if, if he is, he hasn't come out yet. Uh, yeah, again, not that I know of. Uh, and uh, when, I, when I watch that movie, that ignorance mm. and that distance from the characters is all I can see. Yeah. Uh, I know that some of the people who made the film or, or acted in the film are queer. Mm. Uh, and some people are like, well, would they have made that if it was offensive? And I will say, uh, possibly they just don't share my perspective on it. Yeah, uh, possibly uh, well, it was uh, the, different on the page than how it mm. turned out in the film. And it kind of, mm. you know, when you participate in an ensemble project like that, mm. it can evolve or change over time. Uh, That's I, uh, possible too. Uh, Maybe they just thought it was cool. Maybe no, they just I, liked it. Yeah, I don't I know. know. Like, I know. We can, the, just, the, we can uh, disagree on that. The actors probably were were convinced that this was a good story, and yeah. and that's and that's fine. I I would love we to do. talk to the actors. About I would it. too. Um, I know. Um, I haven't heard any interviews with the actors from *A Knock at the Cabin*. Um, Not really. No. I, I know that uh, another film that we talked about being like kind of misguided that uh, the filmmakers said something, but it was clearly about something else. Was uh, Darren Aronofsky's *The Whale*, yeah. which is actually actually about homophobia and depression, but Darren Aronofsky makes it a about obesity, which yeah. is which is real, like the wrong approach to that material. Yeah, very misguided and, material, I think. Or approach but to it, yeah. Brendan Fraser has spoken about appearing in that movie. He played the mm-hmm. lead role. He got an Oscar for it, and he's very frank about sort of his own body issues mm-hmm. and how that script made him feel and how he actually thought it was very cathartic for him. So I understand why he took place to sure. part in, in a sure. took part in a movie like that. And I would argue that uh, his performance in that film. Mm-hmm is doing something that Darren Aronofsky's direction is not. Hmm. I would argue that his performance in that film, I don't think it's I don't think it's that great a performance. It's good. <laughs> uh-huh. I am not I'm not saying he's bad. I'm not going to take his Oscar from him or anything, but like um I would argue that he is giving a very empathetic performance in a movie that is directed by someone who isn't offering as much empathy as Brendan Fraser is. Yeah. I think the movie is far more judgmental and othering hmm. about the character's fatness. Than Brendan Fraser is. So Brendan Fraser may have gone into this with all the best of intentions, and I maybe Darinowski did too, but I don't think they made the same movie. Yeah. I think Brendan Fraser made one movie and Darren Aronofsky made the same movie but in a very different way. <laughs> yeah, fair. Yeah. But anyway, right. again, we disagree, and that's fair. Yeah. Uh, and and if if you are inspired by a knock at the cabin, mm-hmm. um, take that inspiration with you, but I also hope that we can hear each other's perspectives. Yeah, and again, if you're interested, uh, again, I don't want to ruin it, uh, If either read the book or if you just kind of want to just see what the difference is and you you're just you know in your heart of hearts you're not going to sit down and read that book, look it up. Mm-hmm. You can look up the Wikipedia page. It'll tell you the whole plot if you want. And you can at least see clearly that there was a big difference. Mm-hmm. They changed a f- big thing <laughs> in that in that story. Yeah. Before it got to the screen, and they—that was clearly a deliberate choice. There's no way they did it by accident. So, anyway, All right. um, here's a letter from the Windy. Hello, hello, the Windy. Uh, hello, you fine gentlemen. Thank you. Uh, I just listened to your review of Inside, the Willem Dafoe thriller. Oh, uh, yeah. You reviewed that one. I didn't I did. see the uh, I did. Inside. And Bibbs made a point about it being frustrating when you, as a viewer, are smarter than the character. That had me thinking of a 2021 movie called Till Death. 
Hmm. Starring Megan Fox. Did you see that movie, Till Death? No, I missed that uh, one. I heard about it, though. Uh, in it, the main character finds herself handcuffed to a dead body in a remote mm. cottage in the middle of winter. Uh, it is the kind of movie where you constantly say to yourself, well, I would do this and I would do that. Why mm. don't you just? And every time that happens, the main character does the exact most logical thing you were thinking of, and the movie gives you very good reason why it doesn't work. Great! Uh, that goes on for an intense 90 minutes, and you never feel like you would do better if you were in that situation. Yeah. I don't remember if you reviewed it when it came out, but I can't... I can recommend it to anybody who's looking for a tense, effective thriller. That's it. Thanks for all you do. It really matters and makes many a day in my life easier. Yours, The Windy. Thank you, The Windy. Uh, and, and that's... Uh, listen, I haven't seen that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't know how good it is. Uh, but based on your recommendation, that's a great kind of movie. Because a survival kind of movie, a movie where like you're trapped somewhere and you have to figure out what you would do to survive... Uh, it's a movie that excites the audience's imagination because we ask ourselves, what would we do in that situation? Yeah. Uh, especially in a movie where there's a lot of downtime. There's not like a lot of immediate danger because then the audience gets to think alongside the characters. How would I solve this puzzle? How would I escape this unscapable mm. jail cell or whatever? Um, I had a screenwriting professor in, in college and he had a great bit of advice, which is... Uh, if your character, sorry, it's a bit of a distraction. Uh, ask yourself what the audience would ask about your story, mm-hmm. and answer it before they they come up with their own solution. Okay. Like so, for example, the example he always gave was uh, in Fatal Attraction. Okay. Uh, Michael Douglas. And they're turning this into a TV series. Weird, but okay. Uh, Michael Douglas, his family is out of town. He has an affair with Glenn Close. Okay. She sees this as a really deep emotional connection. He saw it as a flame. Yeah. She gets obsessive and starts stalking him. And at first it seems like, okay, this is going to be a problem, but I don't have to jeopardize my family. I can resolve this on the side. And then eventually she starts doing more and more dangerous and violent things. And his, his argument was by the time the audience is saying to himself, at this point, it would be so much easier just to tell the wife. Yeah, it would just just it it's it's better for your marriage if you just come clean now because it's going to be inescapable real soon, hmm. and that's about the point in the script when he does. Okay, so you just don't want the audience to feel like don't have a condescending attitude towards your protagonist. Yeah, you want your audience to feel like your protagonist is at least doing their best. <laughs> Preferably, I love it when they're smarter than me, personally. That's that's my favorite kind of story, yeah. is when they, they think of something that I wouldn't have thought of. Mm-hmm. So I just get to go, oh, what a great idea. Um, yeah. a, a good example of that is the movie Cast Away, the Robert, oh, yeah. Z- Robert Zemeckis movie. Yeah. Uh, I've never been lost on a deserted island. Oh, you never uh, have? Uh, I know, I know. It's a really common experience for treat. everyone in their 20s. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> It was my gap year in college. <laughs> <laughs> Living on a deserted island, eating coconuts. Yeah. Uh, the, the character in that is he's lost on this island. Mm-hmm. He opens up some packages because uh, he's delivering them. They washed yeah. ashore. Yeah. And there are things that are completely useless on a desert island. Like video, video cassettes. cassettes. Like what's he going to uh, do with Ice yeah. skates. Like things he can't really use. Yeah. And uh, over the course of the movie, you get to see how he he's actually does get to use those yeah. things. He's turned the ice skate into an axe. Yeah. There's a, like the blade on the ice skate. Yeah, like, turns that makes sense. Blade. Um, it's clever. He, he uses it to knock out a tooth because he has a toothache once. Yeah, uh, exactly. And, yeah, 
and he's a lot smarter than me because he knows how to like figure out uh, a calendar by following like a shadow on the wall in a mm-hmm. cave that he sleeps in. He's able to figure uh, out like exactly like how far off of course he was. So mm-hmm. what are the odds that they'll ever find him again? And, and eventually, to, and he knows how to like make rope and teaches. And, like I, I eventually he figures out how to make a boat with a working sail. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm fucked. I'm on that island yeah. forever. Like so, no w- way. watching him figure that yeah. stuff out is pretty cool. Yeah. Hmm. And again, you don't have to have that. It's okay to have characters in your story who are totally screwed. Um, and but even in kind of idiots. That's also okay. Uh, one of my favorite uh, uh, horror movies of this type uh, is a movie called The Ruins. Uh, it's about a bunch of uh, uh, tourists who decide to sneak off to, a, to an isolated uh, uh, pyramid in Central America. And they climb to the top of the pyramid. The pyramid's covered in weird vines. And when they find out is that the locals won't let them leave the pyramid. If they try, they'll be killed. Hmm. So now they're trapped at the top of this pyramid until they die. And they're all idiots. Hmm. They're all not very intelligent people. They make terrible decisions. And it's totally in character that they do. And you're just watching them like, okay, what would I do in this situation? The exact opposite of what they did, because they're not bright. There's this one bit where a guy falls, and they're like, well, we have to move the body. And I'm like, he, he fell on his back, and he can't, he's, he's, he feels weird back there. Don't do that. And so, but they feel like, well, we got to lift him at least a little bit. And the first thing they do is just snap him in half. And you're just like, oh, God. <laughs> Oh, they're so terrible at this. <laughs> but it works in that context. Yeah. So, like, it's it's a matter of making, you know... Hmm. It's a matter of, like, making sure your character is the right level yeah. of clever. Yeah. 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 Anyway. But, yeah, that sounds like a good movie. Thanks for the mm-hmm. recommendation on that. Uh, here's a letter from Name Redacted. Mm-hmm. Nobody signed it off. If there's no letter... Uh, if there's no name at the bottom of your letter, I'm, I'm not going to read it from the, the subject mm-hmm. line. So, um, this just says, Hey, Bibbs and Whitney... I recently listened to your Iron List episode about the best film series. Mm-hmm. Uh, Iron List is a podcast we have where we typically very long podcasts we do where we count each do like a top 10 list on yeah. a different topic that uh, our Patreon subscribers get to vote on. Do one a month. Um, I recently listened to your Iron List uh, episode about the best film series. I noticed you mentioned the films of Andy Sedaris. Mm-hmm. I was curious. So I found Hard Ticket to Hawaii on Tubi. There's no other way to watch it. <laughs> Maybe VHS. And I watched it, and OMG, it's amazing. LOL. Uh, so my question to you is, what are your favorite B-movies of all time? Mm. Thanks. Oh, and he does sign it off. It's from Mark. Thanks, Mark. Okay, I uh, love a good B-movie. Uh, we just did a commentary track for Hard Ticket to Hawaii. If you mm. have never seen it, it is a story about a bunch of scantily clad super spies uh, living on Molokai, uh, which is a Hawaiian island, the, uh, who the, get involved... The, the dingiest of the Hawaiian islands. It's not the most photogenic. Uh, and they get involved in a criminal organization involving marijuana, uh, stolen we- diamonds, diamonds, weapons, uh, stolen weapons, uh, completely improper use of nunchucks. Uh, also, there was a subplot that has almost nothing to do with anything about a giant killer radioactive snake that just happens to be loose on the island. Uh, it doesn't play into the story at all. Not really. No, uh, it's. So it's a treat. There's a razor frisbee. Yeah, and a, there is. A shoulder-mounted bazooka and a blow-up doll in the same scene. Yeah, uh, and those two things combined in a way I did not expect. Uh, uh, co- copious amounts of nudity. Uh, yeah. Very light-hearted violence. It's not very light-hearted violence. sex, too. Like, the yeah. sex is actually, it's not a lot of it, and it's all very tame and very very innocent. Mm-hmm. Um, 
It's great. It is one of the best, like, uh, goofy B-movies no, um, ever produced. The term uh, B-movie is actually a pretty broad term. It is. Uh, the, the phrase comes from when uh, films were shown as double features in movie theaters. They would have cartoon reels, news reels, and a feature, which was, like, typically the the better publicized studio film with money. And the stars. big draws. The one that had the bigger yeah. star, the bigger budget, and, uh, more more locations, visual effects, stuff like and, that. And then as, as a chaser, there would be a B-movie, and that was typically uh, a genre picture or a low-budget movie. Mm. Something Often they that, were very short. Yeah, so, yeah, something that they just sort of tacked on. Uh, and, mm. and, of course, there were uh, previews for coming attractions, but they came after the A feature, hence the term trailers. They trailed the A feature. Uh, and there was no dictate as to what kind of movie the B movie would be. Not specifically, no. Just that it was worse than the A movie. That's yeah. all the, 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 That's all it implied. Yeah, the B movie, uh, when we say B movie, what we really mean, and again, it's vague, hmm. uh, what we really mean is a movie with that isn't high profile, it's probably genre-oriented, it's probably not got a lot of big stars, and it's probably uh, not great. Now, yeah, there's a um, lot of great B-movies. Like, Touch of Evil was a, was a B-movie, if memory serves. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, right. so, like, that doesn't necessarily mean anything. But usually when we try to use the term B-movie, mm-hmm. we think of low-budget schlock. And, yeah, well, schlock and uh, B-movie and exploitation movie are kind of interchangeable now. Yeah. Uh, and it's not necessarily the same thing, really, but, yeah, yeah. basically. B-movies and exploitation movies are, are what we talk about when mm-hmm. we use the phrase. But on and, that note... Uh, as such... Boy, howdy, are there plenty. Uh, oh, yeah. And the curious thing about uh, that sort of A-B dynamic and the kinds of uh, things that were in B-movies for many, many decades uh, has shifted. Mm. Uh, science fiction and horror movies were always you know, popular, but they were popular off to the side. They weren't yeah. the, the prestige pictures that the studios put a lot of money behind. Uh, they involve very childish things, a lot of uh, adventure serials and mm. a lot of uh, just sort of v- very simple, easy to consume genre tropes. And mm. sometime uh, after Star Wars, those uh, B-movie genre tropes mm-hmm. became Studio A material. Yeah. And fantasy genre films started getting the bigger budgets, yeah. whereas the more adult dramas weren't pushed quite as hard, except around awards season. Yeah. Uh, and we're still living in that era today. So uh, yeah. uh, it's, it's an, a, a, an A movie used to be what we call a B movie. I, I hear, out of curiosity, I just Googled B movies. Okay. And what they usually do when you look up anything movie related is they'll put like whatever's most popular oh, yeah, like, in that here's, search. Here's the, the suggestions for you. Here are, this is, I just Googled this and I think everyone's Googles me a little different, but I put in popular, I put in B movies. The first thing is popular B movies. And amongst the things that are on uh, uh, that that list hmm. are Uva Bowl's Alone in the Dark. Mm, it's was, a B movie. It's at least so. a B movie. Uh, Leviathan, which is a, sort of a knockoff of The Abyss meets The Thing. Hmm. Uh, it's good actually, but so it's, 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 it's a B movie. It's Alien Underwater. Yeah, it's a B movie yeah. basically. The Meg, which actually is an A movie, but it was tonally a B-movie, like they were going yeah, for that vibe. Well, well so. that's what I'm talking about. I, yeah. you know, even something like the giant shark movie, that have a budget of like $150 million. It's a big movie. It was a big movie. Yeah. And uh, then, but, then, but then, and here's why we should never listen to Google, uh, Creed 3. It's a B-movie. Uh, that's the first thing that came up. <laughs> Google thinks Creed 3, well, also, the, like the, the, the latest installment in a long line of blockbuster films, yeah, Oscar-winning blockbuster films, <laughs> 
is a B movie according to Google. I can't even yeah. imagine why. Uh, hence my my need to define the term because Google yeah. is clearly confused about it. Yeah. Um, also, all of those films you mentioned, those were all studio films with, like mid budgets. Yeah. Leviathan like has Peter Weller in Dude, it. Like these have recognizable here, Here's stars. another one that's on this list: Mars Attacks. Vibe I get. It was Vibe, an expensive sure. movie, but you know. Yeah, uh, yeah. Tim Burton was going for, like, a certain kind of B-movie vibe, but that Mm -hmm. had, like... It was made by Warner Brothers. had a hugely expensive Mm -hmm. special effects in this giant cast of celebrities. Here's one I actually kind of appreciate, because it's wrong, but I see where they came from. Barton Fink. Because Mm. Barton Fink is not a B-movie, but it is about the writing of a B-movie. Oh, yeah. It's a a famous novelist hired to write a wrestling picture. Yeah, and it's supposed to be a B-movie. He's just supposed to crank it out, and he gets writer's block, and he gets all up Mm -hmm. in his own head. So that one I kind of get. Hmm. That one's kind of weird, but we we've we've belabored the point. We know what you mean. Uh-huh. you mean sort of cheesy, schlocky, low budget genre yeah. fare. Uh, I, I give me some, give me a few recommendations. A few recommendations. Um, what did I see recently that I like? Because I've I've kind mm-hmm. of been catching up with a lot of uh, older B movies that I hadn't seen before. I finally mm-hmm. saw uh, Ted V. Michaels' The Corpse Grinders oh, for yeah. the first time. That was a pretty good one. Okay. Uh, I finally saw Voyage of the Rock Aliens, which had escaped my oh, yeah. view for a long time. Was that Albert uh, Pune? I think it was Albert Pune, okay. actually. Um, better than I would have expected. Okay. Voyage of the Rock Aliens. I like the aliens. I like the story. I like the music in that one. Um, I, I guess I'm just a kook that way. I do prefer the B-movies that are... It was not Albert Pune. It was not Albert Pune. No, th- it was a James Fargo and Bob Giraldi. I think I'm thinking of Vicious Lips, which is a little... Vicious similar. Lips is Albert Pune. Yeah, that's yeah. what I was thinking of. And that that's, that's a little... Di- that's like girl yeah. punk band in space. And I, if, the mo- as, if the music had been good, that would have been a great movie. If the movie had been good, it would have been a good movie. Well, that too. Get <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a great premise. It's like... A, uh, punk rock girl band in the future in space like and their spaceship gets invaded and they have mm. to fight them off with the power of rock it's like cool i'm there yeah how do you make that dull it's just a boring movie i know it's a bummer right uh, such a such it seems like such my, a layup my favorite b movies are the ones that are uh just staggeringly sincere whether or not they're good or bad yeah kind of the the, the off-kilter ones the ones that are a little bit uh, off-center mm. um stuff like samurai cop those are that's yeah, what that's i think great. i think samurai cops sort of played itself out there's it's also a cycle with some of these movies. Like, I don't need to watch Birdemic again. I've, I've, Birdemic I've had... is not fun, bad. Birdemic is just incompetent. And and it it made the the like the rounds in the midnight movie circuit, and it kind of played itself out. We don't need to talk about there, Birdemic because there's anymore. nothing. Same with ge- the room. We don't need to talk about the room. Bird, anymore. Birdemic doesn't. Uh, well, the room I get, but I feel like Birdemic doesn't really feel very genuine. It doesn't mm-hmm. feel like there's anything. When I look at like the bad, the bad. Uh-huh. B movies or Z movies, as they're sometimes called, the ones that connect to people, they tend to have something. Where you are at the very least sort of sympathizing with the filmmakers. Well, that, that's what becomes fascinating. Yeah, you, you stop watching the story in the movie and you start thinking of the story of of the film's making. And uh, yeah. a lot of a lot of the best B movies are going to tell the story of their own making. Uh, so see something like Zat. You've seen Zat, right? I don't think I've seen Zat. A- AKA the Blood Waters of Doctor Z. Uh, oh, okay, yeah. Uh, yeah, about a guy who turns himself into this fish monster. <laughs> yeah, well, everyone likes a good fish monster. Mm-hmm. Uh, my favorite of Probably of that of that vein is actually um, the greatest Gary Daniels movie ever made. Oh, is this Blood Moon? Blood Moon. Yeah, Blood Moon. <laughs> Gary Daniels is a uh, it was like a championship kickboxer, if memory serves, uh, who went on to have a career of mostly starring in straight to video action movies. 
He had a few big appearances and other things you may have seen. He was one of the bad guys in the first Expendables movie. Mm. Um, his greatest, his magnum opus, is a film called Blood Moon, which is a serial killer story, except the serial killer is only targeting the greatest fighters <laughs> in the whole world. He wants to kill every single one of the greatest fighters in the world across every fighting discipline. Wrestling. Uh, Kung Fu, Ninjutsu. Uh, they all happen to live in the same city, by the way. Uh, and Gary Daniels is brought in to be like the 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 Will Graham guy. Like he's the one who's like I, he's a brilliant psychologist and he's going to get in the guy's head. He's also one of the greatest martial artists in the world. So this will come up later. <laughs> the acting is terrible. The writing is terrible. The fights are amazing. Like the fights are every single care actor in the movie that they get is not an actor with the exception of Frank Gorshin, which is actually a pretty good guy. He plays like the he plays like the angry police commissioner. He's the celebrity. He's the, the guy. Yeah. Uh, but all the actors in the movie are clearly professional expert martial artists. Hmm. And they know how to film the fight scenes. So the fight scenes are genuinely incredible. Like, holy shit, really great fight scenes. So you're watching this incredibly stupid movie about, like, Gary Daniels as the muscle-bound martial arts Clarice Starling teaming up with uh, the, the, like, streetwise homicide detective who's also a close-up stage magician. Yeah, uh, and they end up I'm, fighting. I'm still with you. And they end up fighting martial arts with this guy. This the also the villain, by the way, the guy who's a serial killer who's trying to kill all the greatest fighters in the world. He's a cyborg. He has two <laughs> cyborg fingers that he can use to like punch through your rib cage. Awesome. Yeah. Doesn't fight. It doesn't get a lot better than that. Um. I I always appreciate when you can find something that has that spirit uh, that's new. Yeah, you, you you look to a lot of B movies. It's sort of like a thing of the past. There was that yeah. unfortunate trend of like Neo Grindhouse, which we've talked about on the podcast before, mm. uh, about um, irony lurked into a lot of these genre films, mm -hmm. and we're so trying people, to evoke oh, uh, a yeah, kind of so, silliness uh, that uh, used to be genuine, but we're doing it like on purpose, and that makes it okay now. Well, like that sort of patina of irony makes it actually less enjoyable because these aren't people who are genuinely excited about the material. They don't seem to it's actually people think who it's actually cool. kind of hate that material. Yeah. And, and I don't like that loathing that sort mm -hmm. of creeps its way in. Like, a. Uh, uh, I've described this phenomenon. You're thumbing through Tubi and you're yeah. looking through like some bad uh, cult movie. It's like, ooh, here's one called Robot Werewolf. If that thing's made in 1981, you're you're good. It's going to be a if fun it, time. If it's made in 2006, you're fucked. Don't yeah. watch that movie. <laughs> if you so, haven't yeah. heard of it and it came out in 2006, uh, probably not worth your time. Yeah, yeah. very very true. Uh, that's uh, but uh, yeah, because they're getting the, referent into it back then. But when you do come across a, a like a new one that mm. actually has that clunky B-movie vibe. It's kind of special. Yeah. Uh, and I'm going to mention Torque at this point. Yeah, Torque. <laughs> Torque is awesome. I'm so glad I finally got you on Torque. Yeah, I, 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 did, I didn't see Torque for the longest you time, and I'm so glad I did. Uh, and yeah, Torque is, is something special. Torque... Yeah. Uh, Imagine, like, yeah, a B-movie version of The Fast and the Furious, which itself is already a knockoff of something that's already a B-movie. Uh, but they sort of, like, 
up the ridiculousness. There's yeah. a, a scene where two people fight on motorcycles without getting off the motorcycles. They just sort of like clash into each other. They like lift up their front wheel and the punch each around. other in yeah. the front wheel. Like, uh, what? <laughs> later on in the movie, they find a motorcycle that's so fast it makes parking meters angry and they explode. <laughs> And then Adam Scott is like the asshole oh, FBI agent on their tail, so and an Ice Cube is in it. Yeah, it's God. I love that movie. That movie is fun. It's, when it's that unbelievably movie came stupid, out, and it's unbelievably fun. When that movie came out, that movie came out shortly after The Fast and the Furious, mm. which was an unexpected success, yeah, yeah, and it was that, relatively that one easy Biker to copy. Boys came yeah. out in the same year, I believe. The Fast and the Furious was relatively easy to copy because what is it? It's like a crime, Im- a melodrama against the backdrop of street racing of some kind. Cool. Great. Easy. Perfectly valid subgenre. Torque was the one that went full ridiculous. Mm. Just gigantic action sequences. It's a bit smaller budget than the later Fast and Furious movies, but it's got that tone. That absolutely ridiculous over-the-top tone. Mm. And when Torque came out, everyone said you got it completely wrong. This isn't what Fast and Furious is about. And by the time we got to Fast and Furious 6, everyone was like, this is everything Fast and Furious always should have been. And I'm like, all you people owe Torque an apology. <laughs> Torque gave you this years ago. They skipped and you, ahead, yeah. You rejected Torque. You monsters. Yeah. Uh... Torque was a good one. Yeah. Uh, in 2007, a movie came out called Redline. I missed Redline. Another one of those uh, sort of post Fast and Furious knockoffs. Yeah. Uh, it was uh, produced, written, and directed by the same guy whose only impetus for making the movie was he had a lot of million dollar cars. To get access to I a mean, bunch of them. Yeah. So it's like, well, just make a movie about that. Mm-hmm. And uh, sure. Uh, the movie opens with a guy saying, hey, we're in Los Angeles. Here's a little bottle. If you can deliver it to Vegas in two hours, you get $100,000. Like, oh, yeah, I can do that. Uh, LA to Vegas, that's usually like a four and a half, five hour drive. Mm-hmm. Uh, somehow he makes it. And what's that What's that little bottle that he's delivering? It, it's Viagra for like a gangster guy. Nice. That's the world we're in. <laughs> we started with something like Redline. Nice. Uh, uh, Redline gonna... was also notorious because Eddie Griffin appears in that movie. Mm-hmm. And during production, he crashed one of the cars. Oh, no. It's a million dollar car. Oh, no. It. I, I don't know. I hope if, it was insured. I'm pretty sure it was insured. I don't think Eddie Griffin had to pay for it. But yeah, yeah he wrecked a really expensive car. I'm going to recommend. I'm sure he feels terrible about uh, it. More on the, uh, more on the, less on the pure action front and more on the schlocky monster front. Uh, I was a big fan of the early days of the sci-fi original movie. Mm. Uh, when they would actually, it was mostly like giant monster stuff before it got all ironic. Like it was basically just, hey, what if there was a really big snake? Yeah. And we can get like and 20 movies really out of big that. Snake. Basically, yeah. yeah. Uh, and I, some of them got like kind of cute. I'm a huge fan of big of big ass spider, mm. but that's a movie that knows what it is. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of the film Mega Python versus Gatoroid. You've talked. You told me about Mega Python versus Mega Python versus Gatoroid from director Mary Lambert, who of course did the original Pet Cemetery, which is one of the great Stephen King adaptations. Um, stars Tiffany and Debbie Gibson. And if you don't know those names, you're young. (laughs) And you should Google them and listen to at least their one-hit wonder stuff because they were huge in the 1980s for a while. Uh, Debbie Gibson plays a uh, sort of an eco-terrorist who takes a whole bunch of, like, snakes out of a lab. Like, I'm going to rescue all these snakes. 
and like drops them into a swamp in the Florida Everglades. Jezen realizes that they have been like genetically manipulated and now they're growing into like giant Godzilla sized snakes. Uh, Tiffany uh, plays a park ranger who is more concerned than anything else about uh, protecting the local uh, uh, alligators. And the alligators are getting eaten out of their environment by these giant snakes. So, in order to give the alligators a fighting chance, she feeds them, like, super radioactive steroids. Mm. So that they can defend themselves from the megapythons, thus creating, of course, gatoroids. It's actually kind of (laughs) smart, because it's actually about, like, you know, escalations about characters who have principles and actually are, like, fighting for the things they believe in and then realize, well, we can't take this too far. Uh, It also has an epic, like, cake fight between Tiffany and Debbie Gibson where they're, like, throwing cake at each other and they're so busy having a big, like, 1980s one-hit wonder fight Mm. that they don't realize that the Megapythons and the Gatoroids have eaten everyone else at this party. (laughs) And which, which leads, of course, to the moment where they, like, look up from their fight and realize they're they're the only ones left in the building. Where Debbie Gibson says, "I think we're alone now." Which was which was t- Tiffany's she, song. T- Tiffany's song. Uh, actually, it was Tommy James and the uh, Tommy James song. Well, yeah, but <laughs> Tiffany made it. <laughs> t- Timothy Tiff- co- Tiffany co- made covered it, a it thing. and and uh, got a hit yeah. out of it. Uh, which, uh, but that was of course that fight was preceded. Uh, by uh, Tiffany saying something rather untoward, uh, to which, uh, sorry, Debbie Gibson saying something untoward, to which Tiffany said, only in your dreams. Which was one of Debbie, Gibson's, one of Debbie Gibson's songs. Um, so this is, a, this is a smart film. This is a thoughtful film. This is a film I, that I, gives you what you want from this pairing, not just Megapythons and Gatoroids, but Tiffany's and Debbie Gibson's. Is. I, I suppose that's a little less insufferable than uh, in the Expendables movies. Yes. Where they, like, used each other's catchphrases. Mm-hmm. I hear like, he's well, a lone wolf. Yeah, we get it. He's Chuck fucking Norris. Yeah, we get uh, it, dude. I think it was um, uh, Bruce Willis said, I'll be back. And, oh, yeah. and Arnold Schwarzenegger said back to him, like, yippee-ki-yay. Yeah, like, yeah, they yeah. each other's game. Like, I can only be so mad at that. But uh, anyway, it does It does feel like they're trying too hard. Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, Mega Python and Gatorade comes at it honestly. All right. Uh, so anyway, those are some examples, uh, right. and and there are many more. Honestly, just throw a dart at Tubi, <laughs> <laughs> or or um, like, one you've introduced me to. There's a streaming service called Raygun. Oh, yeah, uh, Raygun's fun. You can actually hit like a roulette, and it'll play a random uh, B movie. Yeah, uh, they're all in the public domain, so a lot of them are like super low budget and totally obscure. But the, a lot uh, of them are real discoveries, though. Like they're yeah. just weird stuff. A lot of inter- uh, a lot of international films that actually like they aren't bad. They just no one knows who owns the right stone because yeah, they have so the 60s. Just so. kind of throw them up. Um, yeah. And a resource I, I will constantly tote until my dying days or until it closes is Night Flight. Uh, yeah. Night Flight is a streaming... Night Flight was an old uh, TV program that ran on USA back in the 1980s. Mm. Uh, and it was a long program. It was like two, three hours long. And it was showed like blocks of music videos. If you didn't have MTV, you could watch Night Flight. And it was a little more... Um, a little artier, a little bit more focused, a little bit better curated than something like MTV, which played like, you know, curated stuff, but it was just the hits. 
Uh, Night Flight was a lot more punk rock, it was a lot more new wave. Uh, they also had a lot of short films and animation and all, all kinds of an, and interviews with filmmakers and stuff. And now they have a streaming service. All of the episodes of Night Flight are on there, and they also have deals with, like, Severin Films and Arrow Video and uh, um, the Church of the Subgenius yeah. and, and, and a lot of these sort of B-movie boutique deep Blu-ray labels. Mm. You can find a lot of their B-movies on Night Flight. And yeah. And honestly, that is an excellent place to start. And if you want, like, a good place to go for, like, B-movies B that no one's ever heard of, uh, just... Go to the Vinegar Syndrome website mm. and pick something that sounds good. It's probably <laughs> at least worth watching. I've had a few duds here or there from Vinegar Syndrome, but generally speaking, if they put it out, it's probably the good kind of B movie. Mm. That like, yeah, Vinegar Syndrome is another one of the better they have, ones. They have, they have really good taste in bad films. I uh, I am saving up so I can get the uh, Arrow Video Herschel Gordon Lewis box set. Ooh. It's got like like. Three Herschel Gordon yeah, that's a big Lewis one. movies. Yeah. It's like it's like a hundred bucks, so I need to save up for it. Yeah, uh, Herschel Gordon Lewis, the Godfather of Gore, made all these like really horrendously cheap gore movies in yeah. the nineteen sixties, and they are art. Uh, yeah. He his philosophy was, well, I can I'll make a B movie, but how do I stand out? I know just more blood. Yeah, it's cheap. Just throw in more blood. Throw in a lot more guts, and then people will come. And he he transcended somehow in making these gory movies. Very special. We got the time for one or two more. Okay, uh, here's here's another letter. This is a letter from Nicholas. Hi, Hello, Nicholas. Nicholas. Uh, greeting Bibbs and Whitney. I hope Hi. you gentlemen are doing well. We uh, are. Hanging in there. I've been listening to your podcast for about six or seven years now. Wow. And wanted to begin by thanking you for the endless hours of knowledge and entertainment that you have continued to provide. I don't know how you do it at such an incredible pace, uh, but I am more than grateful. Uh, I don't know how we do it either. I, I don't know how I feel do like it. we don't do it. I feel like we don't do it as often as we should, but yeah. you know that's that's just my we're, the hor horrible end of my work ethic. We're just we're just um, getting older. Uh, I wanted to write in and share some of my picks for the greatest film series of all time. Oh, also cool. Relating to the Iron List, I try to keep it short and sweet, but I know this will be a long email by nature. Yeah, whatever. Eh. Uh, I'm stuck to similar rules as both of you, particularly the four film minimum, and the list structure by only having a distinct number of one, but no specific order otherwise. Okay. A brief caveat, I'm 27 years old. I don't apologize for you. It's no, no, that's, it's, so, okay. it's okay yeah. if you just want to clarify that you feel like you haven't, right. there's stuff you haven't seen. But I'm 27 regardless, years don't old, apologize for it. It's fine. And you, I didn't begin filling in blind spots until five or six years ago. Yeah. So many long-running franchises won't be on here, and I simply haven't seen enough of them to feel I couldn't write confidently about them. So, and you know what? Yeah. We're, we're in our 40s, and we both felt the same way. There's stuff that we couldn't have put on there either because we're not as familiar with them. All right, so, it's uh, fine. No one's seen everything. So here they are in no, no particular order. Uh, number one, uh, the MCU. Okay. Uh, I'm getting this one out of the way early. I think the franchise, for the most part, has been pretty consistent with some high points like Black Panther and Iron Man 3. Those are some of my favorites as well. Damn right. And the culmination of the Infinity Saga was an impression of achievement. That must have been enough for me because the thoughts after... Because the thought of watching Doctor Strange 2, Thor 4, or Ant-Man 3 makes me nauseous. <laughs> yeah, I think they kind of, like... I think they kind of did their bit in yeah, some regards. They, they were done. They, 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 just, it came to too big a conclusion. Yeah. I, think, I think Infinity... The Infinity War movies... Mm. It, it, I feel like we just builds up to that, and now you kind of wrapped it up for the most part. Yeah, and yeah. I feel like No Way Home really did that by incorporating like previous iterations of the Marvel Universe mm. and wrapping those up as well. And so, yeah, it doesn't really yeah. feel like there's a lot left unresolved. That doesn't mean they can't pick up again and get my interest. It just mm. doesn't feel like there's anything left to work towards right yeah, now. I feel I, like we're kind of Steel was fun, but like it didn't push it forward. I, it just I, felt like we're having fun living in the MCU. I heard yeah, I heard She Hulk was fun. I didn't see it. I I, I was fond of Eternals just because I think that's a cool sci fi story. It's very weird. Uh it, all the superhero stuff is not interesting. Yeah, I don't, I don't give yeah. a shit when they start fighting monsters. I just like all the weird sci fi stuff about ancient gods. Yeah like, anyway, moving on. Uh Saw. 
Yeah. Uh, this series uh, makes the list solely because of one time in college when my roommate and I had a marathon of all seven original installments on a diet consisting only of pizza and four locos. That would do it. <laughs> ah, it was quite the experience. Yeah, I, I really hope you guys didn't vomit at the end of that. That is the best way to watch the song because they're all pretty short. You, if you make a day of it, you can get through the first seven Saw movies in a day. If it was the first seven Saw movies, just the first seven, mm. would have made my list. Because that is one ambitious, fucking, weird yeah, horror series. I, I saw eight, and I, I didn't see nine. So, eight yeah. isn't very good. Eight, eight just doesn't have the, the showmanship. Mm. And nine, I appreciated what they were getting at, but they all the Saw stuff was really lackluster. No, oh, that's too bad. The actual, like, jigsaw material. Also, mm. the the reveal of who the killer was was really fucking obvious in that one. Oh, like, really, even by, like... Uh, oof, like, not good. Uh, next up, and I'm ashamed I didn't pick this one myself, but uh, Final Destination. Yeah. Uh, this series primarily makes the list for its incredible concept and, and consistency. I think the fourth film was probably the worst in the series. But even then, the producers filmed some fun set pieces. Each film offered its own iconic moments, and Tony Todd is a wonderful addition every time. Yeah. What Jaws did for Sharks, Final Destination did for Trucks Carrying Logs. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, that opening highway sequence in Final Destination 2 is one of the most harrowing I've, things ever filmed. I've, I've already seen some Wiseacre edit footage from Final Destination. Destination 2 with the new Barbie preview where she's driving in the <laughs> in the convertible. That's pretty good. Um, uh, Final Destination films are just totally efficient. Mm-hmm. There's no killer. There's no motivation. No, it's beautiful. People just die. Yeah. <laughs> it's I, great. And it's about people just dying. I read once, cool. I read once of the original plot. I don't know how true this is, but I read once of the original plot. It's like in a magazine in like 2001. Uh, originally, the script was about these people survived. Uh, there was a plane crash. Uh, survived, there was supposed to be a plane crash. Someone one, had a yeah. vision of the plane crash and took his friends off the plane. And everyone on the uh, stayed on the plane died. But it felt like they were supposed to. And the original idea apparently was that there would be someone in like a Grim Reaper costume killing them, like in a slasher movie. Mm-hmm. And then the filmmakers they brought on were like, "No, what if it's really the Grim Reaper?" What if it's just death what if it's is just after them? Yeah. Death, and you, there's nothing you can do. You can't stop or unmask them or send them to jail. Like, mm. what do you do? And that was the brilliant thing. And honestly, if there is one series I regret not putting on my top ten list, it's mm. probably that probably one. Probably final list. In yeah, retrospect, yeah. that even though I agree, four is the worst in the series, and frankly, I think it's just pretty bad overall. The escalator death in that one's so fucking great. <laughs> but even that one's fine, I guess. It's just the least of the series. Was it four or five that had the, the LASIK eye surgery? I think it was the last one. Okay. Yeah. It wasn't four. Uh, that was a good one. Yeah. Uh, no, that that's... Ugh. Final Destination 2 was my favorite. That, that's that's the championship one. I, Almost I like every two, kill in like that two, one's I like, amazing. I like three as well. Three has, three has the roller coaster death at the beginning. And that has uh, the, the, uh, the, the, the the women who burn to death in the tanning booths. That one's pretty cool. Is three the one with the uh, guy who's uh, uh, in the drive-thru at a fast food restaurant? And then, like, mm. a car bumps into the car behind him, and the engine of that car flies out of the car and, like, decapitates him with the motor running. Oh, I, I don't remember which one that Fucking was. Fucking amazing yeah. in that one, man. That was great. Uh, up next is VHS, the VHS series. Though yep. each film in the series has its own set of highs and lows, I find that the highs vastly outshadow the lows. It would be difficult to choose between VHS 94 and VHS 99 as my personal favorites in the franchise, mm. but as you've stated on the podcast before, Safe Haven may be the best segment of them all. I'm I grateful that Shudder continues to promise future installments. You know what? The VHS series is really good. The only reason that I didn't include that one is because I actually haven't seen all the spinoffs. There's been been multiple spinoffs of the VHS series. There was recently that one from the guy who did Hobo with a Shotgun. 
Oh, right, right, yeah. That was an adaptation. There was also an adaptation of one of the first uh, uh, short films in the first movie. There was a movie called Siren mm. that was a spinoff, and I didn't see that. And my other rule that I had was I had to have seen all the movies. Yeah. So I couldn't, but the VHS, as far as like anthology format movies go, their hit to miss ratio is excellent. <laughs> like a few, there are a few duds here and there, but it's a good yeah, horror anthology yeah. series. Yeah. Um, up next is uh, Scream, the Scream yeah, movies. Like Scream uh, it's at this point in the email that, uh, that I'm first realizing how much horror movies I've put on this list. But can you uh, can you ever have too much horror? Nope. Uh, I was both lucky and unlucky that I didn't see any of the Scream movies until a few years ago. I was unlucky for missing out on great movies for so long, but I was lucky when I finally did watch them. Felt like I was meeting a whole new group of friends on screen that I didn't know I was waiting were waiting for me. Of course, I was. Then I got to watch those people get killed off by Ghostface, but I what? guess that's what I signed up for. Those are the, those are the rules, yeah. yeah. I, I, the, the more I look back on the Scream movies, the less I like them. Oh, that's about uh, right. I feel like the, the first one kind of set its piece, and the second one was a pretty good follow-up, and it's mm. just been a, like a gradual downhill slide ever since. Yeah, I would uh, argue I, that... And five and six, I just was not fond of either of those I would ones. argue that they stopped being necessary, or like feeling necessary yeah, after like, three. Like, the, 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 like three, the, I, three, I think, works, but the, I... I'm, the interesting angle about the Scream movies was their, their critical angle. There were yeah. criticisms of horror movies, and they stopped doing that after You know what's weird about the Scream movies? They've they've been about horror movies and horror fans mm. this whole time. Like we're on six movies now. Yeah, you know who they've never killed a film critic. It's kind of unusual, isn't it? You'd think yeah. that would have come up just organically at some point, but like no, they've never killed a film critic. Uh, moving on, uh, Alien is next. Um, this series gets to be on the list because I've never actually seen either of the Alien versus Predator movies. Well, that would explain And that really boosts the average quality <laughs> of the film across. Uh, the first film is an all-timer. I quite enjoy each film that followed. The claustrophobic tension and great creature design are unmatched. And Ripley is one of the great film protagonists. Um, I, I like Alien a lot. Uh, Alien's less fond of... Um, mm. Might be my third or fourth favorite in the series aliens uh, I, I like alien three just because it's this weird nightmare it's very cynical yeah very yeah. V- very depressing movie i like how depressing mm. it is i like I appreciate the, how weird alien resurrection is uh, it, it's goopy and it's, sexual and it's strange. Uh, for a lot, a lot of it, it's sort of like an Aliens riff. It's like yeah. a retread of Aliens. Uh, that stuff's not less interesting. But yeah, when it gets to the end, where it's all this like weird hybrid alien mating stuff, that stuff is fun. Yeah, that's a different and, vibe. Uh, yeah. And I'm very fond of Prometheus. I like the weird sci-fi ideas in Prometheus as well. Great I, production I design in Prometheus. I'll give you that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm not. A f- I'm not a fan of Ridley Scott's later uh, Alien movies. Mm. Yeah, the co- first, co- Covenant, I can leave. The first Alien vs. Predator has grown on me a little bit. Like, I don't think it's particularly Go, good. Going back it, to B-movies. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's the spirit movie, of that one. That's it's like, just, just it's pre- like the matinee version of that for, yeah, like, like, PG-13 kids. That's that's okay. Yeah, just guys in rubber suits wailing on each it's, other. There's there's a pleasure to that. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's not as good as any of the others until that point, but it's fine. Uh, uh, Alien vs. Predator Requiem brings the whole franchise down, though. It's so <laughs> it's, bad. It's such a turd. It's so uh, bad. Jesus. Uh, anyway, there's a couple left on this That's list. Uh, X-Men. Um, okay. Isn't it great that they ended the series on a high note with Logan and didn't make any movies after that? <laughs> For the sake of this post, I'm cheating and choosing not to acknowledge either Dark Phoenix or New Mutants. In all seriousness, this franchise has a special place for me as my sister, my dad, and I have been uh, bo- have bonded so much over these movies. My dad introduced them to us at a young age, and at the time, it really sparked our love for movies more than ever. I think Logan, X2, and the rogue cut of X-Men Days of Future Past are all outstanding. Those are, I think, the best ones. Uh, I would um, say uh, I'm really fond of a first class. 
I think first, first class, class really good. works. I would and, and Deadpool. I would you have to include Deadpool. I think the first Deadpool is great. My thing with the X Men movies is that that might be the most inconsistent blockbuster movie franchise of the century. Uh-huh. Just like high, really wild, high highs and really low lows. Wildly varying in quality. Mm-hmm. Like the first X Men is okay. X two is pretty good. X three sucks. X X Men Origins Wolverine. Also sucks. First class, hey, we're good again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is pretty good. This is great. And then we got the Wolverine. Hey, we're good again. Oh, that was yeah, awesome. this is pretty good. Pretty goofy, but yeah, pretty I like it. Right. Pretty, I like it. I like it fine. And then we get the the, the days of days future past, past, which is okay. We're good. good. And then we get apocalypse up. Oh fuck! And then we get the Logan. It's one of the best things ever. And then we go to. Dark Phoenix, and we're like, oh, this is one of the worst things ever. <laughs> How did you do that? <laughs> How the fuck did you do that? They had a New Mutants, which is the pilot episode of an FX television series. Like, in terms of budget and, and work of, and character and writing and all it, that stuff. If that was what it was, I would have been like, okay, I'll watch I'll watch another episode of this, see if it gets better. But as a movie, it's like, no. Hey, hey Russian girl, what's your superpower? I can manifest knives. Also visit a nightmare dimension. Yeah. What? Yeah. <laughs> also, I'm, like, really racist, and I'm like, cool, great, Yeah, thanks. super racist character. That's great. That's, that's, let's I mean, do this. We can make movies about racist characters. How many that's scenes fine, are we going to watch hero. of them watching Angel? More than <laughs> one? Okay. That's great. Uh, anyway, there's, there's still there's still more. Right. Um, John Wick, the John Wick series. John yeah. Wick has certainly departed from its extremely straightforward first film, that's for sure. Uh, but I've loved every bit of absolutely unnecessary world building. I may be just riding the high of seeing the overstuffed fourth chapter, but I'll stand for this for now. The climax really worked for me. All three of them! <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Small Axe. I can't say Yay! anything about the series. You gentlemen haven't already said it deserves endless praise. Please see the Small Axe movies. They're Please. on Amazon. You'll be, you'll be so uh, enriched by them. They're so e- damn easy good. to access. If, if nothing else, just just watch Mangrove. Is it Mangrove? Mangrove is the first one. Mangrove is the first one. Lovers it's, Rock is the second. Lovers one. Rock is the best one, but Mangrove is just riveting cinema. Yeah, like it's, it's just, just a, a good courtroom drama. It's a fantastic courtroom. You, you will just not be able to stop watching it, mm. and by that point, you'll be hooked and you'll want to see all yeah. of them. And they're fucking great. Uh, but the number one pick. There you go. Finally down to it. Mm. The <laughs> number one pick, the shitty Carl cinematic universe. The what now? Directing duo Aaron, Aaron Moorhead and Justin Benson oh. crafted such a unique collection of films that they have dubbed the Shitty Carl Cinematic Universe, as the character known as Shitty Carl is the common thread among all of these films. In order to see in order, the collection includes Resolution, mm-hmm. Spring, The Endless. Synchronic and last year's Something in the Dirt. Hmm. Often something directing the duo, uh, often starring the directing duo themselves. These wonderful low budget horror slash sci fi trips are some of the most inventive films I've ever seen. Combining cosmic horror, cults, and hallucinatory drugs, these films truly, ex- uh, truly exist in a world of their own. Apologies for the length of the email, but at the, at the very least, I hope this uh, leads more people to checking out Moorhead and Benson's films. Thank you both again for everything you do. All the best, Nicholas. Uh, uh, let I, me look up Shitty Carl because this I've, sounds like something I I've need to only be familiar seen. The with. only one of those I've actually seen is Something in the Dirt. I know a lot of those films have fans. I've heard a lot of people love uh, Endless and Synchronic in particular. Uh, but the only one I saw is Something in the Dirt. And maybe. I know they're all supposed to stand on their own. Maybe if I'd seen the other ones, because I've actually seen some people like edit together sequences of something in the dirt and then like a sequence from an earlier movie and if you put them together you like something more is illuminated like you okay. understand both scenes a little better and i'm like that sounds exciting and ambitious and maybe i just need to sit down and watch this because something in the dirt was i liked uh-huh but i didn't love i just thought it was kind of interesting like kind of low budget uh sort of covid era like we, we what what's the most ambitious movie we can make without leaving our apartment complex kind of kind of film 
but uh, I've heard really good things about those other movies, and I really need to get on yeah. them because I've heard, um, I've heard really good things about those filmmakers. Uh, Moorhead and Benson uh, also did a, a VHS viral. Uh, they did yeah, a, a segment one? called Bone Storm, if you know that one. I, um, that was my least favorite segment of that. Oh, okay. I, I think, uh, yeah, I think it was my least favorite segment. I, I, remember, it's okay. I remember hearing a lot of good things about The Endless, but I didn't actually get to see it. Same. Um, they produced She Dies Tomorrow, which was a film oh, I was great very, fucking movie. very fond of. Yeah. Um, they also produced a movie I saw called After Midnight, uh, which starred Brea Grant and Jeremy Gardner as a couple who are sort of on the outs. Oh, he, yeah. He begins to... Uh, hallucinate that there's this like thing in the woods that comes out after midnight and it's like attacking yeah. the house and he tries to I remember you reviewing it. that you said that was yeah. great yeah uh, it has, and it has an excellent ending I don't want to yeah. say what happens but yeah it is cool. an excellent ending um, but I haven't seen the films they wrote or directed so this, okay. this, these we gotta are get films on I need to get into we gotta get on that Poe Buddies and Perfect but uh, mm-hmm. hey thank you everybody for writing in sorry if we didn't get to your email this time feel free to email us again or, or give us a nudge uh, our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Whitney, what is our P.O. Box? Send us a letter to the Critically Acclaimed Network, P.O. Box 641-565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. Yeah, we might read your email or letter on an upcoming episode of We've Got Mail. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter, at Critic Acclaim. I am at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. Uh, and, um, we'll, and we'll leap to the alternative when it opens up. That's true. Uh, I've, I've made accounts I've, elsewhere just so that like I have my name. I just opened one up at Spoutable, which is actually really nice. It's got a nice totally, interface. Yeah. It's just was, very sparsely populated. I, I was using Hive, but uh, I was warned away from Hive. Yeah, the, the security didn't not good at Hive. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but that's one something that uh, Spoutable apparently has very good okay. of is security, uh, and it and it it's very similar to Twitter. I actually like it a lot. Uh, I I want to like do more there. It's just people are mostly still on Twitter, mm. uh, and. Um, I'm thinking about maybe doing a thing where, like, every time Elon Musk does something that I hate, oh. I'm going to be unspoutable for the rest of the day. Sounds good. Yeah, yeah. there you go. That's, that's like good. Gradually good, uh, build good up practice. my presence. Yeah. But uh, in any case, we're there. Uh, and uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you to all of our patrons. Uh, if you want to listen to this podcast and all of our other new podcasts without commercial interruptions, you can head on over to our Patreon. We also have a lot of exclusive shows over there, including our recent commentary track for Heart Ticket to Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a show where we review every single episode of every Star Trek a uh, show where we review every single movie ever nominated for Best Picture at the Academy Awards. Uh, we're, we're, we got a lot of cool stuff going on over there, and we just want to say thank you to all of our patrons for helping support us. Yeah, absolutely. If you have the means, we'd love it if you could. We'd give you lots of podcasts in exchange. Uh, and if you can't, that's cool too, but uh, you know, leave us a review. Subscribe, certainly, if you haven't already. That would really help us out a lot. So, anyway, thank you again. Sincerely yours, Bibbs and Whitney. <laughs>